All right, y'all. It is season two of the Men Up podcast. We are so excited to have y'all with us. If this is your first time, thank you so much for checking us out. If you're coming back for a second, third, fourth, twelfth time, however many episodes you've listened to, welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. It is so great to have y'all. And if you know how we like to start things off, it's with a pep talk here. And so the way that I like to get inspired and motivated is to take on a challenge. So I've got a challenge for me and I've got a challenge for you. And it is this, today, maybe in the next hour, of course, after you listen to episode one of season two here, let's connect with the young people in our lives. Those young people could be our own kids, family members, They could be young people that maybe we mentor or volunteer with sometimes. They could be young people that we teach. They could be young people that we see in our neighborhoods or in our communities once in a while. But connect with a young person. Now, this is really powerful because number one, we know during this pandemic, during this challenging time, this has been a time of real mental stress for all of us, but particularly for young people. Think about it. So many of our young people are just forming their perceptions of the world, how they want to exist in it, their dreams, their hopes, and they're doing that in the middle of a crisis. It's on us as the older people in their lives to, one, check in with them and just ask, how are you doing? No, seriously, how are you doing? But then the second piece is that it's also valuable for us. I got to tell you, whether it is with the young people I get to work with day in and day out, or it's young people that I mentor now, that I used to work with, or it's the young people that are in my family. It has been so powerful to see how they have been able to pivot, how they have been able to make changes and shifts in their life and adjust to this time and find ways not just to survive, but even thrive. It has been inspirational and powerful for me and kept me going, and I think it will do the same for y'all. So that's my challenge. Go connect with a young person, ask them how they're really doing, and get inspired by them. All right, y'all, season two, starting right now. And welcome to the Men Up Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Christian Shabu. I'm Drew Chin. Will Van Dyke. Lamar Wumble back for the very first time. Thank you all so much for joining us this week and every week as we dig into culture, current events, and our own events, and as we redefine manhood and masculinity so that we, however you identify, can all thrive. Here in season two, we are starting a brand new segment, a segment that we like to call the starting lineup. So here's how it's going to work. Every episode we want to make sure that you are getting to know us better and hopefully getting to know yourself a little bit better as well and so we are going to pick a person at random here on our team who is going to pick a question at random that we have from a whole bucket list of questions to get to know yourself get to know each other a little bit better and so that we can get real get connected and get into the game so drew over to you for the inaugural starting lineup all right drum roll please Our inaugural starting lineup question is, gentlemen, how old were you when you started working and what was your first job? Two-parter question. Going over to Shabu to kick it off. Okay, so I have actually two answers for this. So if it counts, my very, very, very first job was with Will and another friend of ours who started a lawn mowing business that, you know, lasted a couple weeks in the summer um, and also... 
you know, no, no shade to Will. You know, he ended up going on vacation to go to the Olympics in 96. So shout out to you, Will. Um, and, but our, our business uh, could have been the first job, but really it was a job. I worked for uh, a masonry company as a mason's tender. I worked for three days. I quit it because it was a terrible job and I was like 14 years old. I was 14 when I first started working and uh, I was a janitor at a uh, elementary school in the summer for the entire summer. And uh, yeah, did a bunch of stuff for $5 and 15 cents an hour and uh, actually ended up buying my car with the money I made from that job. Wait, what was the car? It was a 1990 Pontiac Grand Am. Left there we go. There we go. Two door Bellevue, Nebraska stand up. Two door come out. Yes, season two. Ah, Will, you're up. I'm so glad Shabu went first because he probably changed my answer quite a bit. Um, but uh, I, I remember that probably was the first time I got paid for doing something that wasn't like chores around the house. Um, yeah, and and uh, as Shabu noted, we it didn't last very long. My my original answer was going to be the first time I ever got paid for doing something was I was a an umpire when I was 12 or 13, uh, and I got paid like 15 bucks a game. I hated it because parents are ruthless, even when the umpire is a kid. And uh, and my first paycheck though was a YMCA camp, uh, summer camp maintenance guy. Uh, I was 15 and I convinced the camp director that uh, at 15 years old, you can drive a car on private property in the state of New Hampshire. And so I learned how to drive uh, a Ford uh, pickup uh, all around. And I got stuck in the mud way out in the woods once uh, working on a weekend and, uh, they didn't know where I was for two and a half hours. Uh, it was, uh, it was a good time though. A uh, good, good summer. And it led to uh, a, a long and fruitful career as a YMCA camp counselor for a good, I don't know, five, six years. Will is a legend at Camp Lincoln in Kingston, New Hampshire. Like they've got his number retired. And for all our listeners, if you want to hear another camp story, go back to season one and you'll hear Will's shining moment with walkie talkies. Yep. Leadership and bikes. So my first job was at a place called Liberty Drug. It was a small owned business, um, you know, private pharmaceutical or, you know, drugstore. But in addition to like being a cashier and, you know, placing all the different um, pharmaceuticals and RXs for everyone, they bumped me up to run the soda shop which meant I got to learn how to make ice cream sodas, banana splits, like you name it. Awesome job uh, in the summer when I think I was 16 because um, it also meant I got to get tips and it also meant I got to feed myself ice cream. Did you gain any ice cream weight, Drew? I think I gained as much as many years old as I was that summer. Okay, okay. I like, I like how you did that. Very precise number too, 16. You gained 16 pounds. So as we start this second season of the Men Up podcast, we're clear that we are about a year into this pandemic that we are all living through, right? And there may have been moments of real sadness and struggle. There may have been real moments of success and joy. Whatever you've experienced during this time, we think that it's really important to take a step back and to think about what we have learned in this time, this time of a pandemic, this time of multiple crises coming together at once. What have we learned so that we can move forward powerfully? So that's how we're going to be framing all of our main topics. And this episode, we are starting off with a topic that has been near and dear to my heart for a long, long time. I often tell stories about 
the first goals that I had for myself as a person. And beyond the sort of dreaming of being some sort of athletic star, whether it's a football player, basketball player, the one very definitive goal I can remember as a young man, as, as young as 12, I want to be a great dad. And funny enough, here on our team, I am the only one of us that is not a dad at this point. Some young people that I work with, that I, I want to make sure that they know and that y'all know that even though I am not officially their dad or parent, that certainly uh, them calling me dad or pops or all of those names um, certainly carries incredible weight, um, which is beautiful. And they're part of my extended family. But we wanted to take some time here to take a step back and to think about what have we learned about parenting? Specifically, what have we learned about fatherhood during this time? So guys, I want to start us off by thinking about what is the biggest adjustment that you have made as a father in your parenting during this time? The biggest thing for me in the adjustment uh, has been being at home every single day and having kids uh, and the family as a whole in the house every single day. Um, I uh, have been a remote worker for this will be my 10th year, actually. You know, I work for a company based in New York City, but uh, I've been remote work uh, in, in my home in Ithaca, New York for, you know, the last 10 years. And, you know, prior to March of last year, I largely got to enjoy a quiet house during the daytime. And navigating and juggling the difference, you know, between, you know, having to be on and having to be off uh, has been a pretty big struggle. I'm not a, as you guys will all probably laugh at this, but I'm not a great time manager. And so uh, this has been a struggle for me, even a year in where it's like, uh, you know, the way that my wife and I have split it up is that the mornings up until, you know, a certain point in the morning are supposed to be my time to be like the parent in charge and then she works and then we flip flop and then we flip back, you know, sort of around dinner time type of stuff. And, and, and it's, it means that I'm sort of on either with the kids or with work the entire day. The things that I, I would say has been nice is making sure that that morning time I'm available for the kids to help them with their zooms and to help them with their class assignments and, you know, to be present for them so that, you know, they know I'm making them oatmeal and I'm making them stuff that, you know, normally we, we don't get that sort of interaction. Some of it's like yelling at them to get back on their Zoom because I am making them the oatmeal and they don't need to come out to the kitchen when they're in the middle of the class or whatever it is. But, you know, it's some of that. So, um, yeah, I think, I, think, um, I think just trying to, you know, manage it all has with everybody in the house at the same time has been the biggest challenge for sure. And the biggest adjustment adjustment of all this, because it's just we're in each other's space all day, every day, nonstop. All of this too is coming on the tail end of probably the greatest trauma of my life time, you know, some of this. And, and so it's just sort of like these compounding things, which sort of managing my mental state and my physical state and then, you know, trying not to be too hard on myself at the time management aspect and trying to be a good partner and like, and stepping into all those things. I think it's a compounding sort of focus. 
Drew, I wonder what it is for you. You know, Will brought up the fact that, you know, he's had some time at the very least to make those adjustments to working from home and whatever adjustments you have to make as a person there and with your workload and all that kind of stuff, all those dynamics. And I know for you, like, that has certainly been an adjustment during this time, right? Where, you know, with your work, you were regularly going into an office, right? And doing that. And now for a lot of your work over the last year, you've had to work from home. So like, what has that shifted for you as far as, you know, your approach with fathering and parenting? It's funny, Will brings up time management. I was talking to a coaching client the other day. And whenever I think of time management, especially now, it's, am I managing time or is time managing me? And so to answer that question, like, we've had to really lean into what does co-parenting look like, which is a silly term, right? Like if you have two, that shouldn't, in my opinion, that shouldn't even be a term. But I say that because like Will said, it's who can do what, when. And so for me, the biggest adjustment is like, I lean more into the morning routine, kind of like Will, especially on the days when our kids go to school. And, you know, really what that looks like, I shared this text with you guys not too long ago, you know, it's getting breakfast, getting them changed and brushed teeth, but then like getting them out the door, almost as if they're going to the bus stop, but my wife drives them. And what's so special about that is I literally see them pull out the driveway. I walk them down the driveway and they, they roll down the street and I'm just kind of waving. And in, you know, pre-pandemic and me commuting, that doesn't happen because I'm out the door before them. So I just, I say all this to say, my exposure and like being intentional of how much they see me before I go into the office um, has been the different change. And then even when they come home, similarly, like if I'm not in meetings, I know when the door opens. And so like, I want to be able to greet them and like help them, you know, change their shoes and get ready for naps and get on with the day. Lamar, out of all of us, right? Like you perhaps have had the, the most significant transition because during this pandemic, you became a father. Right. So like there, there's there's that adjustment just as a person, right, as a, as a man. But like I'm interested, you know, have you seen adjustments over this first year over time that you've had to make as a result of not just growing into being a father, but growing into being a father during a pandemic? Here's what I would say that I've learned about myself um, through the pandemic, but also through fatherhood is sign me up to be a stay at home dad ASAP. Sign me up, please. I, I didn't have much of an adjustment because this my my experience as a father has literally been I'm at home. My daughter was born January 25th, 2020. And then the pandemic started March 12th, 2020. But you got to think the two months prior to that, we were already staying home because the baby was just born and it was the middle of winter in New York. So we had already kind of started the quarantine two months prior and then it hit. Um, and then it's been ever since. So literally, you know, I think my daughter is a year and two weeks old and I've not been around for 24 hours of every single day for maybe a combined 168 hours, maybe like I've been gone like a full week for six days. I haven't been here uh, that I haven't seen her or been with her every moment of every day. Like, I don't know what it's like to have to go to work and leave my kid and then come back. And especially within those first three months where usually the mother's home by themselves with the baby the first three months, like that time is so difficult. And I don't know how people do it individually or alone. Um, so I just couldn't imagine what the experience would have been 
if it was the other way around where I was going out or I had to go to work and I just worked from home. So uh, sign me up for stay at home dad life is one, two. Uh, I think the biggest adjustment I had to make was just really being clear that like, because I have flexibility in my schedule uh, that I have to prioritize the kid first. And I was, I was trying to hedge where I was trying to do 50, 50 and it's just not going to work. And so I was just like, okay, Nola gets 70, 30. And that's just how it's going to be. Lamar, does, uh, does your partner agree with you that, uh, you're, you're good stay at home? Like, does she say, yeah, sign Lamar up for that job? Does she agree? Uh, you know, I think, I think, uh, I don't know if she, if she's down with it, but I mean, I, I don't think she, I don't think she would be opposed because I think, you know, the, the unique position I'm in is that like my career and job does not tie me down to time. Um, and I can make a lot of money in a short amount of time uh, with a lot of freedom in my schedule. So it just, you know, I think if it makes sense to where I can be a stay at home dad and do my work and still uh, provide and contribute to the family. Uh, yeah, I don't think she would have a big problem with it because the reality is, and I think for me, you know, child care in New York City is expensive enough to where it might be worth me staying home anyway to not have to pay for child care. And I would absolutely prefer that in in my opinion uh to like save two grand a month than to go work a job that i don't really care about to make up that money i would have a lot of work to do before my wife would would say yeah you're you're the stay-at-home dad oh you gotta go you gotta you'd have to go through stay-at-home dad training i'd have to do a little bit more stay-at-home dad training because the thing was i know and i didn't mention this too and i'll just add because i think uh and lamar you 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 kind of reminded me of this too is like pre-pandemic i was traveling once a month for three to four days every single month if not more than that with other travel like mixed in because i have a whole team down in in the offices in new york city that i would go down and be with and and so i was there every single month uh for the last 10 years so i had a, I had a significant amount of time missed too you know where we it, it would sort of break up our normal routine of things yeah well i mean i think i think and and you know going into the pregnancy and even preparing for like post-pregnancy i knew it was something that i was going to have to get square in my mind i was going to have to get excited about doing stuff that i don't like to do right in order for it to work as best as it could so like i knew that i was gonna have to wash dishes and do the laundry and clean the apartment and make doctor's appointments like i knew all these things were coming and i was like i don't naturally think about those things because like i spent 36 years focused on myself and like doing whatever the hell i want when i wanted um so i had to take a year it literally took the nine months of the pregnancy to adjust my mind my number one value over that time, 2019 to 2020 was gusto, right? So I could get, it was on my fridge and I just looked at it every day. Like I have to be excited about these things in order for this to work out the best for uh, my partner and for the kid. Um, and that was my training will and preparation. So like I was doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. So when it hit, it's like, all right, I'm already in flow of like cleaning this and cleaning this and going here and doing that. Lamar, I just need to acknowledge for a moment, you know, back in, 
season one of this podcast, but also over the years of knowing you as we've talked about fatherhood at different times, like you've acknowledged that you weren't somebody that was like actively excited about like, oh, I can't wait to be a dad and like was actively pursuing in, with that kind of energy. Yeah, absolutely. Not. And to know that about you and to now hear you say, sign me up for being a stay-at-home dad. Sign me up for being such a present force. That's yeah. like massive growth, man. So like shout out to you for that. I, I just love it. That's, that's, that's the thing that caught me off guard. Like, I actually just love it. Like, I certainly admire you guys uh, as dads, right? And, and that's been the case with Will for a long time. Like, I've watched the way that he um, has grown into being a dad and the way that he shows up for his two kids. And like, I really admire that a lot. Uh, same with you, Drew. And like, it has been so powerful to watch Lamar grow into that. And, and like, every conversation we have just like, light up uh, you know and i'm incredibly grateful that all of you have like welcomed me into your families um and and that's always really like humbling and beautiful for me too because it gives me a little bit of i'm not gonna say that i feel parenting or dad at all but it gives me a little bit of the uncle feel and i like that feel and what's interesting is i think that during this pandemic probably for a couple of years before but certainly during this last year i have questioned more than ever before my desire to being a dad and can I really cut it right I know, I know perhaps from an intellectual standpoint from a value standpoint like yeah I can cut it and like it's been a goal and and certainly but just how much work and how present you have to be particularly during this time and and the negotiation between self-care and all of these things guys it's a lot like it's a lot just to observe I, I can't even imagine what it is to actually experience it firsthand but it's a lot I don't feel like you have to choose because it sounds like what you're kind of going through in your head is like, like I do all of this out here. Like, how do I do all of that and be a dad? Right. Um, and then it, at some point, if you have an experience that you're like, Oh, do I have to choose? Do I have to be one or the other to have to go all in on my professional career or like all in on that. And it's just like, it's actually just a forever and ongoing balance act. Yeah. You just end up being tired all the time. <laughs> just end up being tired all the time. Because then when you don't choose, you know, you, you could, you could pick and you could just say, you know, some, some, but you like, you know, I'm, I've chosen to try to balance a career, social life, kids, all that kind of stuff as well. And, and, you know, That's what most people do, just, right? It's exactly right. And then you just have to like, say like, well, nope, my, my social life is going to end at nine o'clock every single night. <laughs> or if not, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make me an angry monster <laughs> the next day because I'm so tired. For sure. I, and and to, to add to that, I think, you know, it's, it is about priorities, right? Like that's, for me, what I found, you know, as you mentioned, should be somebody that wasn't really, it wasn't a goal of mine to be a dad, but like I, I became one, is that like I knew because I had that mindset of like not necessarily, you know, trying to be a dad, like, I knew that if it happened later in life that I would be fine because like I've done, I've done everything I needed to do prior. So, you know, when my partner got pregnant, I was 36 getting ready to turn 37. And I was just kind of like, Oh, well I was done partying anyway. I didn't really care to be going out on the weekends anyway. Like my, a lot of my friends were slowing down anyway. A lot of them are married with kids now anyway. So it kind of like made it easier for me to transition out of that because the people around me were already doing it and also to myself like i was already getting to that point where 
Like I was like, yeah, like all the stuff I used to care about, like I just care less about. Um, and the things that now I want to lift up are now easier for me to lift up because like, that's what I care about now. And I think, you know, shout out to anybody that had kids when they were like 25, 26, 27. I knew for me, that would never have worked. I would have been the worst dad ever. Chip in a Bottle is the official sponsor of season two of the Men Up podcast. Chip in a Bottle is a chocolate confectionery specializing in handcrafted truffles and sweet treats. I can promise you that the detailed hand painting on each piece of chocolate, the silky smoothness of the gelato, and the delicate decadence of the French macarons are unlike any dessert experience you've ever had. I especially love the Nutella milk chocolate truffle. Mmm, so good. Visit chipinabottle.com to get any of the dozens of unique flavors shipped to you or your loved ones. Chip in a Bottle is the new taste in chocolate and the official sponsor of the Men Up podcast. I can't tell you how many Zoom calls or whatever I've been on where someone's like, just so you know, my little coworker is going to probably make an appearance. Or just so you know, you might hear Let It Go in the background or something like that. And then overwhelmingly the response is great. We look forward to it or okay, we've seen it happen. And now I see this shift of even some folks asking for it. Like I, I was meeting with friends that, you know, they own a little small business and they were trying to onboard some new employees and they're like, yeah, we want to, we want them to get to know us. And like, maybe we could make a video and share photos of our, our family. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, where are you taking the call from? They're like our homes. Like, why don't you just bring your family on the call? you know, make it real, make it live. Like, oh yeah, like we can do that because we're virtual. So I just, I love that because I see that shift with humanity, people like seeking that out and embracing you as a worker and a parent, you know, as a partner, like I think we needed that. And that's been a long time coming. I've heard this from uh, each one of you in different ways. It's like, it's all about being present, right? Like, and, and, what it means to be present, right? I think that oftentimes uh, the conversation about being present is like, you know, show up, right? Be present, be, be, a, be in the space with your kids, your family, whoever. And in this time though, where y'all have identified in different ways that like your family is with you so much more, right? If you're working from home, right? If you have that privilege and opportunity, if your family's around taking their, their classes, you know, on their computers or whatever, like y'all are with each other all the time. So I'm interested in like, what have we learned about what it means to be present? As a father of a newborn, I actually don't think the presence is about uh, the child. I think the presence is about the partner. Um, and I would, and I say that because uh, there's for me and my partner inside of the newborn baby, like there just needed to be like a huge communication shift. Um, And so presence for me felt like reassuring her presence for me felt like uh, validating her presence for me felt like uh, still making her feel like she's I think she's the most beautiful person I've ever met like um, presence for me was like making that doctor's appointment so she doesn't have to presence for me was cleaning the dishes doing the dish uh, doing the laundry uh, waking up with the baby every morning like the things that she may not get as much credit for because it's natural, but that actually wears you out. Like the baby feeding off of you, 
the baby wanting to just be on you in the morning so you can't really sleep. Like all these things that are like natural mom things, like actually exhaust women um, from from the mouth of my partner. And so I was like, oh, okay. Well, that means I just got to take on a little bit more so I can be present for her. Um, and so I think if you can do that with your partner, that then filters down to the kid. I'll add this on top of Lamar's because I think when your kids get older and they can start to vocalize their needs and more importantly, like in the phase my kids are in, they're trying to figure out what their needs are. Like they're, they're experiencing emotion that they don't even know what the emotion is. So like for us being present is helping them understand what is the emotion you have right now, which meant like we have to give them vocabulary. Like there's literally a wall where my wife created faces that shows like anger, frustration, happy, sad. So like we will literally have to meet them when we're at our best in the moment be like, hey, what are you feeling, son? What are you feeling, daughter? Okay, because you're feeling this, like what is that making you do? And I just wanna bring that up because it's teaching them, but it's also teaching us. And that's like one thing I was looking through in research is just this idea of emotional states are so high. Mental health is so high because of the pandemic, of course. But if you can't express emotion, it's going to tear you apart. And I think because we're so locked into one facility, you know, and we can't get out as much. It's even more important to lean into the, the family unit we have and all make that a common norm. So I want to give that to you, Will, because, you know, your kids are the oldest and I'm just kind of curious, like, what being present looks like for them, to Shibu's point, and then how does that different given they know exactly what they want and what they need? They do know exactly what they want and what they need. And so a lot of it ends up, you know, being at their beck and call right now. For me, it's just like, how much am I going to say yes to today? I put something in my notes here that I think applies to being present, but that's avoiding putting the projections of what my in the moment mental state might be onto whatever I'm, however I'm interacting with my kids. I think that that is something because they are so emotionally in tune with what's happening in the world. They're not, they're no longer living fully in their own bubble of like, you know, whatever they're doing and they're feeding off of stuff that is happening with, with us or whatever. So like, you know, things that I probably do that are unhealthy that I, you know, shouldn't is like, and, and this is, I, I will actually say in the last few months, it has gone down significantly, but I read a, a dumbass tweet from some dumbass politician or something like that. And I'm just like stewing about how, it's it is and then i'm like and then he's like can i get the oatmeal and i'm just like no and he's just like no wait no don't take that energy from what you're experiencing and or maybe some email or something like that from work or something like that that i've distracted myself by and then projecting it it's like it's like creating a a, a pause for me to reset myself. And I mean, that comes with emotional intelligence, I think a little bit too, but like, um, I think that's the way it manifests itself for me in terms of trying to be more present is like creating those moments of, of pause or eliminating the thing that's making me change or project or whatever, so that I'm avoiding those, those moments so that I'm just, you know, reacting in the moment, like 
yeah, man, of course you can have oatmeal because you're hungry. Like, thanks for telling me. Or here's the drawer where the oatmeal is. I mean, for my eight-year-old, he's now like, here's the drawer where the oatmeal is. Here's the microwave. Here's the water. You can do this yourself. And while you're at it, can you make one for your sister? That's right. And, and that's exactly right. Can you ask? Can you ask your sister if she needs anything? In parenting, like the development of independence, but even uh, independence and sustainable skills, right? Uh, for young people, for babies, for, you know, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, like whatever, that you're not just coming asking for this thing, but you're tr giving it a shot yourself first, right? Um, and I know, Shabu, like with all the young people that you impact, you were all about like, how do we train you and get you prepared to have these skills? from now until the rest of your life. And since like, Will, you're doing the same thing. It's like, all right, well, look kid, like, yeah, four or five years ago, I did give you your oatmeal. Now you can't do it yourself. So figure it out and figure out how to impact somebody else. Get it for your sister too, right? And Drew, same thing with you, with your kids around their emotions and how to check in. And like all those things are building up independence, emotional intelligence for kids when they reach 15, 16, 20, this next generation should be different because they were raised differently. When I was reading, there was like some article, I think it was the Washington Post, might've been USA Today, but they were talking about how this mom was out on the playground in upstate New York, actually, like they had their masks off. There's no one around. And some guy walked by, I was like, put on your mask, you know, and they were following protocol per se. And, you know, she just looked over to her kid the way the story is written. She's like, look, like we need to choose kindness and compassion over competition. And she's like, a lot of people are struggling right now. So like, it's an even bigger deal for empathy. So I say that because, you know, empathy, I know is a big value for you, Lamar. Um, but I actually want to start with you, Shabu. Like, I want to know, like, what are the values that you've needed to lean into to be more of that parental figure that you talked about? my idea of presence, right? So, so I'm somebody that has often thought that like, you know, the most impact you can have is like, you're in, you're in a room with somebody face to face, you're able to sit down and have that conversation, whatever it is. Right. And that just hasn't been the case for so many of the young people that are still a part of my extended family, right. That I, that I do serve in that kind of parental fatherly figure role in some way, shape or form. Right. So it's been a lot of individual zoom calls, like weekly calls. Right. And, and I'm, I was very skeptical of like how powerful those, those could be, to be honest, right? And how much I could actually support, show love um, with those young people. And yet it has been very powerful. And I think that there has been some really interesting growth as a result of those things. You're being invited into somebody's home, right? And, and likewise, they're being invited into my home. And that wasn't an experience I was having with those young people before. So that's an interesting dynamic. And then there, there's been more consistency in those meetings, right? Like, you know, I think about uh, one young person, Kiana, who I've worked with for a long, long time, like when she was in high school and now very much in a mentor mentee role. I need to shout out that she has um, really tremendous and consistent parents. So I, I need to make that clear. And I just think about like her and I have had a weekly call for the last year. That wasn't happening before that, right? That consistency wasn't happening. And so I think the idea that like presence and consistency aren't always gonna look exactly how you want them to look, right? But it doesn't mean that you still can't show up. There are ways to show up, there's always another way. And then I think the other value that is always heightened for me with young people is like, they are not my kids, right? And I am not their parent. And so that means that a lot of their experience, particularly as you know, the vast majority of the young people that 
I work with and, and have strong relationships with are black and brown young people, right? So there is so much of their experience, their lived experience day to day and over their life that I just don't know. So I cannot possibly operate from a space of, oh, I know what you're going through, right? Because I'm not there consistently and lived experience we just have such dissimilar lived experience, right? So I think always starting from a place of like, okay, I, we do not have the same experience. I do not know what you're going through. And here's what I can offer you knowing that there is distance between where you and I live in this world. I hope this episode creates like a, a common, you know, thread some on some platform that, you know, people are willing to share or emailing, you know, or whatever it is, because I'm fascinated to know what other parents are doing in all of this and what their experiences and struggles that are happening, because I think I'm seeing a lot of that, but I, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm uh, like aware of it, trying to, you know, piece some of it together, reaching out where I think it's necessary, but like, in in all honesty there's just so much else going on that i feel like i don't also know a lot of the the parenting dynamics that are going on or just just the i shouldn't even you know say necessarily parenting just the the guardianship that's happening out there that is uh you know changed so dramatically too that i think can help me you know also too because I think it came at it from a very, from a perspective that was very much like, here's what I know. I want to leave space for, here's everything that I don't know also that like this type of conversation, hopefully, you know, can, can, you know, allow people to share if they want to share need an outlet or something like that too, because yeah, I don't know. Just some of that just made me think of all the stuff that I just don't know. To your point, well, there's so much that like we don't know. Regardless of whenever things go back to things opening up more, we're not in our houses with our family 24-7, 365, right? We go back to some sort of like normalcy, quote unquote, in society. Like, what are you taking with you around fatherhood, around how you want to show up from this moment into whatever's next? I've been on Clubhouse like the last couple months and I haven't spent a lot of time on there, but I just get on there and I just listen to people. Cause I just think I'm so fascinated by it. Um, I don't speak. I just listen to the conversation that's happening. Um, and I'm oftentimes mesmerized by the um, opinions and ways of being by some of the men that I listen to on that app. And I just want to double down on the idea that if you are a man, the being the breadwinner is not your sole purpose. Um, you don't have to feel guilty if you are not. You don't have to feel bad about yourself for is it emasculated? Is that the term? Did I use that correctly? Um, to to not be the breadwinner um, in your home, um, the new breadwinner is showing up, being there, being available, being accessible. What I want to take with me is to get closer and go slower with my family. And in that getting deeper, I was watching a, a panel with the four main actors and actresses from Schitt's Creek and someone was interviewing them. And Eugene Levy, who plays the dad, really struck me. He said like, it's a show that celebrates who you are, not what you are. And I just think post pandemic, like 
I want to know who my kids are in those moments. I don't, yeah, I, I care about what they're going to do, but I want to know who they are in those moments. And I'm hoping we're building that practice right now. And I hope we don't lose it post pandemic. For me, I, you know, I've gotten really serious, I think, throughout all of this. And I've, my sense of humor is sort of changed and it's altered a little bit, I think. And, and humor used to be such a driving force for me and still is. I mean, I'm not, not, not funny, I guess, but, um, but I think it's taken out of, it's, you know, the, it's been taken out of my parenting style a little bit because, you know, everything is a sort of minute to minute management and, you know, humor is such a basic way to parent. I, I feel like sometimes. Well, I think, Willie, you know, if you want to put the funny thing into action, just bring that fern around with you wherever you go and just have it behind you. I think you'll get a lot of laughs. Funny story about this fern, I'll just say, is that usually the fern is in the shower because when I'm here, it, that's the only place that it can get watered is in the shower. Also, for those of you that are only experiencing this in audio form, which is most, if not all of you, you do not see that Lamar took the time for this episode to put up a piece of flip chart paper. And at the top, it says, Faja, father, referencing Austin Powers. And then underneath that, it says, who's your daddy? So Lamar, we appreciate the commitment to jokes, to fatherhood. I think I'm going to do it every, every episode. I'm going to have a, a message up here based on the episode. I like that. I like that we're discovering that in season two. And as we start to bring this episode to a close, we know that there are resources, ideas, even people that we are taking the time to research, to engage with so that we can offer new insight and offer inspiration and level up. And so we want to share that with y'all. So Lamar, I want to kick it over to you first for the outlet pass. What do you got for us? Yeah. So uh, this is something that I just kind of developed on my own that I would love to offer up to people. Um, anybody who's listening who wants it, if you have a newborn child on the way, um, I created a list of things that I think are important to do pre-baby and a list of things that are important to do post-baby. Um, and this is for yourself and for the partner. So new mothers, new parents, uh, to be that you have this list of things I thought aren't really discussed in the books that you need to know going in. You know, prepping for this episode, I think one of the ideas that often gets floated out there is that there aren't a lot of resources uh, for men, for fathers, whether they're gonna be expecting fathers or fathers for the second, third, fourth time, whatever the case may be, that there's not a lot of resources out there. And certainly there may not be as many um, if, you're, if you're making a side-by-side -side comparison for fathers and mothers, I don't know. But what I can say is like during the preparation for this episode, I found a lot of incredible resources out there. So I wanna first shout out uh, someone that goes by the name Afro Daddy out there, a guy named Terrence Mentor is getting a little bit of shine right now out of uh, South Africa, who's been doing videos, content, all these things around fatherhood, specifically offering up spaces for vulnerability and content that uh, supports dads being more vulnerable, more present, has been doing this for years. So, you know, I went down a little bit of an hour long rabbit hole, of the content that uh, Terrence has, and it's really great stuff. So check it out, Afro Daddy, all sorts of platforms. But there are also resources that are being offered from our government, which sounds funny to say for a moment, but you know, I was doing a little bit of research uh, with the Department of Health and Human Services and found that they have this brand new PSA experience that they've been 
having since like 2020 mid-year is called dad occasion PSAs, like these really powerful PSAs that are all framed around dads being present and what that looks like, particularly during this really challenging time in this pandemic. So check those out. You can search dedication at PSAs. You can also search the National Responsible Father Clearinghouse. Again, terrible branding just feels like a lot of words thrown together, word soup there, but nonetheless, really powerful resources out there for fathers during this time and during all time. So check them out, y'all. All right. As we wrap up our episode, we always want to make sure that we create space for us to identify where we've maybe gotten things wrong, made mistakes, made missteps, whether it's on this pod or in real life. We're not experts, we're not trying to be perfect, but we are committed to progress and accountability, and that's why we have Call Your Own Fouls. Will, I wanna pass it over to you. Yeah, it's gonna be really quick. It's an apology to Lamar and his family because uh, he, his little girl had a, had a birthday that I flaked on, and I, ca- I called myself out in the text. I, I totally flaked. I was I was single dad in it for a weekend and the moment passed and I was, you know, just, you know, 45 minutes late and I didn't want to be rude. So I was like, shit, I guess I missed it. And uh, I just called that out. I also am it's a double apology because I'm sitting on a package uh, for her birthday that's going to show up more than a month late. So you know, it's it's a double apology. <laughs> it's all good, bro. I appreciate it. Will, thank you so much. Lamar, thank you. Drew, thank you. And to all of you that are listening, thank you. That is it for today's episode. We hope that you are leaving with a level up and that you will join us again. Please subscribe, review, and spread the good word so that we can all redefine and thrive. The Men Up Podcast is a Grin and Bear production. The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.